0: streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Um, I'm really excited to be here with Carol Franks. She has an incredible story about how she really fought to help her daughter, Jenna Franks, was uh, diagnosed when she was 14. So I'm really excited. Welcome to the show, Carol. How did you find out uh, about your daughter having kidney disease?
1: Well, when Jenna was um, 14, she had a bedwetting problem, which came out of the blue, and Our family had some challenges that year. My husband had three back surgeries, and you know, it was an emotional time. So the doctor that we had seen thought maybe it was an emotional problem. So we treated for a while with a therapist, but it didn't go away. It was getting worse. So our regular pediatrician, we had seen his partner before, but this time we saw him and he was really adamant that we get a blood test right away. And he checked her and then he called us and said we needed to go to UCLA Children's Nephrology. And that's when they told us that she had 25% kidney function. So it was totally a shock.
0: And you had no warning that she had any kidney problems prior to this. No, she's the oldest of our four children. She had no
1: symptoms, they said. Didn't she have headaches, flank pain? Didn't she have constant um, urinary tract infection? She had no symptoms. She was very healthy. She never missed a day of school. She was really in great shape. So it's a very surprising, silent thing that goes on that many people are, it hits them. It's a, a shock.
0: So when you went to UCLA, what did the nephrologist say to you? You know, I
1: thought we were just there that they were going to say that maybe she had an infection or something. I didn't really know what to expect. My father died at 28 years old from polycystic kidney disease. And the first thing when we heard it was kidneys was... Perhaps somehow she had gotten it, even though I didn't have it. My two sisters and my brother have um, PKD, but I it skipped me. So that was our worry. But it turned out they couldn't really explain how it had happened, but they told us, actually this young doctor told me in front of Jenna, um, in a year to five years, she'll need transplant or dial- and dialysis for sure. It was like he told me the worst news ever, and I started crying, and I... She had to go give another urine sample. When she left the room, I said to him, how could you say that to me in front of her? And he said, well, she's old enough to know. And I said, that's not for you to decide. She was 14. And I said, you go home. I said, do you have children? He said, yes. I said, you go home and ask your wife how she would want to be told if it would be with the children present or not. Because I was crying. I was like shocked. So I think he 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 was very young. I'm sure he had a, you know, it was tough. But I thought I had to tell him that, you know, you got to look at the whole picture, not just delivering the information and moving on to the next patient. So,
0: Yeah, I've learned over the years, you have to tell physicians how to speak to you, or they'll, you know, they drop these bombs on you, and then... And they walk out of the room. And then when you're in that shock mode of like, I don't even know what you're saying, it's hard to, you know, process all that information. So what happened next? They started um, blood pressure medications,
1: and um, she had to have lab tests, but... She she did okay for about a year and a half, and then she started to get more fatigued. But, you know, she's not a complainer. She was fine, as far as we could tell. She was going to school. She was in high school. But one day I went to high school to pick her up for a dental appointment, and she was a sound asleep. So I went to the director and said, you know, where's Jenna? And she goes, oh, she often naps at lunch. I said, you're kidding. So I asked Jenna, do you do that every day? And she said, yes. And I was pretty surprised that the school didn't call and say because they didn't know what was going on. Is there a problem? Like, is she up all night? Is she on drugs? Is there something? But nothing. They just thought, well, she's just tired. So that's when it really became clear that she was struggling more than she was letting on. You know, she just kept adapting to her situation and not really even dealing with it, just kind of trudging through it. And her senior year of high school, I think, was pretty much a blur because she got sicker and sicker. And um, in December of that year, she had to start dialysis.
0: Now, did she go on hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis?
1: Doctor told us she would need to start in three to six months to think about getting either fistula or to get the PD catheter installed. But we were investigating that. But Three days later, we were in the emergency room and beginning dialysis. So it went from, her creatinine went from 6.0 to 10.0 in about three days. So why it escalated, we don't know. But the decision was made for us that she was going to start right away, and they put a tunnel catheter in her neck. But then... um, The doctor said, you know, that they recommended doing a fistula if that's what she wanted to do. And she really didn't want to do PD at home. She just, the idea of doing shorter duration for her appealed to her.
0: No, I can understand that. Sometimes uh, I hear from patients that they're like, I just want to just go home. I don't want to deal with it when I'm at home. And how old was she at the time? She was 18. 18. So she's thinking about other things, not thinking about dialysis, right?
1: The first visit to the dialysis. Center. I wish we had visited one before. We really didn't know what to expect. We took her there and right at the front door was a gentleman in a wheelchair and he, both his legs had been amputated and uh, and he had no fingers on one hand. And for an 18 year old, it was, it was shocking for me. You know, you don't usually see people like that unless you go to a veterans, you know what I mean? It's not in my typical daily uh, experience that I'd run into someone like that and that was, Right at the front door when we went in, and then there were a lot of people in there that were varying degrees of living. I mean, some were very, very sick, some were very old, and some were younger and working people, so it was a whole... Range, but she was the youngest by you know thirty years. There was no one there. I think there was one other girl in another shift. We ended up meeting, but she was a lot younger than anyone there. So,
0: and she was at an adult unit, not a pediatric unit, right?
1: That's right. That was another choice, in, rather than driving the forty-five minutes to the unit that had children, which was Children's Hospital, um, we decided to to go local, which is five minutes from our house.
0: One of the things that's remarkable about your story is how you really took control over how how you took control of Jenna's health, that you were determined to get her a transplant. Uh, Was it that nobody in the family matched or what was, is it because of polycystic kidney disease?
1: That was part of it. My family was not, they're not available for any um, transplants. And even the younger cousins who may or may not have polycystic kidney disease, which we don't know yet, she has uh, cousins around her age, they their parents are going to need transplants. So it, it wasn't even really a consideration for, for us. But um, my husband's side of the family, his brother offered... He was the wrong blood type. A cousin offered, and she was turned down because they thought at 19 she was too young. Um, But... I think nine family and friends uh, were tested and turned out not to be a match. And so that was pretty surprising. Each time you think, this is it, this is it. And uh, she wasn't doing well on dialysis. When I say that, I know people who have been working. They continue to work. They can coach their kids' team. They, they're still interacting in life. She would go to dialysis. She'd be drained for day, a, a day or two. She'd feel better for a little while, and then she'd go to dialysis again. It was really rough on her system.
0: So tell me a little bit about how um, Jenna found her donor.
1: Originally, I thought that I could donate to her. And I started researching being a living donor by getting on the computer and looking up different websites and stuff. And I found living donors online, which was run by living donors. And there were... um, Lots of people posting questions and sharing their experiences. And so I started asking questions, and there's a section called Looking For. And it was really for donors who were looking to find recipients, but a lot of people looking for kidneys posted there as well. So I posted Jenna's story. The title was 19-Year-Old Needs Kidney needs O kidney because it was, she's O type. And I started to hear from people and about seven or eight months, I probably had about 80 people offer kidneys. Um, That was really shocking to me. Just complete
0: strangers who were looking on
1: the website. Yeah. And I'd say about 30% of them were, well, maybe um, you'd say that they didn't have our best interests at heart. They wanted either a visa or money, or help with a job, so they were out of the country. Many of them weren't really, I wouldn't even consider as being possibilities. Another 30% were people who um, were kind of naive about living donation. They thought that maybe they could ship the kidney there. They wouldn't have to come. (laughs) They didn't really, I don't think they really got the whole picture. You know, they'd asked some really bizarre questions, but another 30%, I think were really people who had learned about it, had known somebody in their family or a friend that needed a kidney and realized what a change it made in their lives. And they decided that they wanted to help someone else. However, our hospital wouldn't accept any stranger donations. They said, absolutely not. pan out.
0: I understand that you decided to multiple list.
1: Yeah, it really did help to know. Uh, uh, someone took me aside and said, you know, you can multiple list Jenna. And what it means is to go outside your procurement area. So you have to be able to get to another transplant hospital in a reasonable amount of time if they call. This would be for deceased donor organ. But what happened during that process, we listed in San Francisco and San Diego because we're in Los Angeles, and the wait list time was four to six years.
0: In Los Angeles. What is it in San Diego or San Francisco? Uh,
1: San Francisco is about the same time. I didn't know that until we got up there. But San Diego was shorter. It was three to five years. And actually, by the time I listed, Los Angeles was five to seven years wait. So even though she was only 19 years old, she didn't qualify for a extra point which a pediatric patient would get so you know it was a long wait and I just we couldn't picture her waiting um, that long on dialysis because she wasn't she was surviving but she wasn't thriving on the dialysis so we went to San Diego but the The wonderful thing that happened when we were there is we met a great team of people, the transplant team down there. It was like a breath of fresh air compared to what we had in Los Angeles. They were proactive in getting our files from the other, from the dialysis unit, from the other hospitals. They were they put all our appointments together. I mean, they really were so efficient and so gentle and kind with Jenna that it was completely It was experience. worth the drive. <laughs> it was worth the drive. I also asked at that time, would you be willing to look at any altruistic donors? And the doctor said, yes, we look at your donors on a case-by-case situation. So you just bring them and we'll take a look. So I had met a woman online through Living Donors Online who was from Texas, and she actually came out and was tested, and it turned out she, in fact, had her own kidney disease that she was unaware of, 34-year-old woman and darling, three little kids. So she obviously couldn't donate. And, and then she found um, out she had kidney disease? Yes, and I've heard this many times, <laughs> times since that... <laughs> then, you know. It's, it's like um, the silver lining, you know. These people want to do something good for someone else, and they actually find out something that... They maybe. can
0: prevent exactly. uh, kidney failure in the future. Just you know, knowing what medications not to take and
1: right because so many times patients are blindsided by this news, and at least this is something they know early enough that they can maybe, you know, delay the onset. Anyway, in San Diego, um, the doctor and the transplant coordinator also introduced us to the living donor coordinator, who was great,
0: and she's just said, if you have any questions, if you have any donors that are interested, have them call me. So what does a living donor have to do? Do they just go in and get their blood drawn? Is that what they mean by being tested?
1: Well, it's a very thorough evaluation process. They have to see a psychologist. They have to have their tissue uh, compared with the patient's tissue. They have to have a a CAT scan. They have to have an ultrasound. They have to, um, there's a lot that goes on. I mean, by the time a living donor is approved, you find out how very healthy these people are. And, um, you know, the goal is to not make two patients from one. They want to have the best possible Um, outcome for the donor and the recipient. So um, there was a woman who posted on Living Donors Online, by then I was administrator online, and she had posted a question that she was scheduled to donate to a man um, that she had read about in her local paper. She had gone and gotten a blood test. It turned out she was a match. She went through all the testing process for a couple months, and four days before their surgery they said, we're sorry, but there's a positive cross match.
0: And that means she wasn't able to donate, to
1: right? Her. Sometime during the initial blood tests and the four months later, his an- antibodies would no longer accept hers. It turns out he had had a heart surgery, which he had needed to be able to qualify for transplant. They had done a transfusion. Infusion.
0: Blood transfusions are just no deadly words, when you're needing a transplant.
1: A big no-no. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking to get a transplant,
0: increase your antibodies. That's what happened to me. You know, I had over probably 150 units of blood Unbelievable. Um, before I got this transplant, and I had just antibodies, you know, over 90%. It's a miracle that, you know, I even got a third transplant, but... Uh, I was in the early days before they had EPO. So uh, I feel very blessed. That's the only blessed. treatment they had was the, the <laughs> got blood transfusions. transfusions. So I answered
1: this woman's questions. I told her that maybe they could still do a paired exchange or maybe he could have plasmapheresis and, you know, get his blood prepared to possibly accept hers. So uh, she wrote back and said, no, he had already decided not to do those things, that he had another donor lined up. Apparently his plea in the newspaper had gotten quite a few responses. So that was good, but she was still looking to donate. So I got an email from her. She said, I went to your CaringBridge site because I had a little, you know, a journal on there about Jenna's situation. And she said, "Um, I read about Jenna and I'd like to be tested for her. Well, you know, you hear this so many times that... But I think the little ray of hope I had with her was she already was approved as a donor. I mean, she was miles ahead of anyone else that I had ever brought to the hospital. So I gave her the information for the living coordinator at Scripps down in La Jolla, and she called. And they said, we'd love to look at your records that you've already had, your evaluation. And they gathered that together. And then they sent for her blood, which they checked against Jenna's. And they called me November 1st and said, it was All All Souls Day, I remember thinking. Or all that's All Saints Day. I think it was All Saints Day. And they called and said, she's a match.
0: Oh my goodness! How did <laughs> I can see you tearing up? I'm no, like, funny. how long get... did it take from you know starting to find a donor to actually knowing that you had one for your daughter?
1: She was about three weeks away from turning 21 when we got that news that she was a match. Now the hospital still wanted to meet Patrice, the donor, in person. They had only corresponded with her. They'd talked to her, the transplant team in Pittsburgh, but you know they needed to evaluate her in person. So she flew out. Um, the third week in November and Jenna and I drove down to meet her in San Diego, she and her husband and it it was kind of a nerve-wracking um, drive down there because you start to think about you know we don't know her, she right. doesn't know us. you know we're getting into this situation where it's <laughs> um, a little
0: awkward isn't it? it?'s it's
1: awkward and, and you never really know till you meet someone. The other thing, a friend had asked Jenna, well, how are you feeling about this? And she said, I almost feel like I'm going on an, an audition, you know, because Jenna loves acting, and she felt like maybe she was being scrutinized. So um, she was on her best behavior, but what was great, we got to the hotel, we walked into the lobby, and there was Patrice and Jeff, her husband, and um, they just threw their arms around us, and um, I don't think I'll ever be able to talk about this without tearing up, but they just made us feel like we were just family just like long lost wow. friends and um so we sat down in the lobby there and we talked for a while and Patrice pulled out a um, a little box and she said, Jen, I want to give this to you. It's a little gift. Now at this point, Patrice still had two days of testing to go. So we didn't know if it was going to happen, work. but um, she was so cute. She gave her this little box and Jenna opened it and there was a necklace inside and it said it had a heart on one side. On the other side, it said, live your life. And I just thought, you know, she really wow. gets it. I mean, this woman... How did Patrice come to want to donate a kidney? Well, when her husband had said when she read that story in the paper, he didn't know about it at first, but I guess she kept it in her dressing room, and for a couple days she read it, and finally one day she showed it to him and said, you know, I want to show you this, and he read it, and he said you want to do this? And she said, yes. And he said, there's one thing that you have to know about Patrice. When she sets her mind to something, she does it. But the way she explained it to me, she's got two healthy teenage sons. She's very fortunate. She felt lucky. And when she learned about other people who were struggling that needed a transplant and how long the wait was, she just said, why wouldn't you do this? You know, well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a... I thought a very rare kind of person but you know when now that i've been around living donors the last couple of years and
0: patients i realize there are some really great people incredible people incredible yeah we were just uh, finished uh, seeing the rose parade float and just all the amazing people who have donated organs or been recipients or actually donated their loved ones organs it's just a special group of people it's it's a family it becomes a family well you you really have to reach outside of yourself um you know someone like Patrice
1: who you know she flew out from Ohio she stayed they did the testing they called her a couple of days later and said pick a date you're you're set <laughs> so she called me she asked the hospital can I call them or do you want to call and um so I said when I when she called I was really almost expecting bad news because we'd been down this road before and she said They said, I can pick a date. And I'm telling you, I was just, you know, like practically on my knees sobbing because I never, you just never believe it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, it's like such an
0: elusive thing. And so many other patients. It doesn't happen for you know. Yes, like over a hundred thousand people are waiting for an organ. It's amazing uh, the numbers. I think over seventy to five to eighty thousand are people waiting for kidneys. And, and sadly, I mean the the statistic is like seventeen people die a day
1: that didn't get an organ. Right. I mean that's seventeen people. That's like almost one an hour. You know, and I didn't want my daughter to be one of those, but you know,
0: it's, it, there's just not enough to go around. Yeah. And luckily, you know, if you have kidney failure, there's dialysis for that bridge right, to get you through, but you know, other organs, it's not there. And you know, it's really unfortunate that, you know, they don't have other types of dialysis for liver. And yeah, I think, um, you know, they will have eventually. those things,
1: but there's, that's the good news about kidney disease is there's life support, you know, there Mm -hmm. is dialysis and it's getting better and better all the time. And, you know, I know patients that have lived for years on dialysis, dialysis, 10 years, 25 years, it's not impossible. But I think for Jenna being so young, I was hoping she'd get a kidney transplant so she could live a pretty normal life. If you're 50 or 60, you've worked, you have a family. It's not great, but dialysis can be you know, manageable. And I think that most young people should try to get a a kidney transplant Transplant. if they can. I think everybody should, but some people, it's just (laughs) Just not for them. them
0: So, Well, how did Jenna react? So after you knew that she was going to get the kidney, how long did it take from, you know, the phone call from the transplant center to actually go into surgery? And how did Jenna prepare? And how did you and your family prepare? Patrice? Uh, did
1: pick a date and it was um, actually tomorrow's the two-year anniversary. It was Martin Luther King weekend because she's an administrator for the College of Wooster in Ohio. So it was a perfect time. She'd have some time off because of their college break. And so she chose that time and it worked out good for us because I had my other kids were out of school and they could actually be there for the transplant. And so I think it was from, so it was five weeks from the day they called till we went for the transplant.
0: So Jenna and Patrice go to surgery at the same time.
1: A couple days before the surgery, Patrice had to come out again for the final cross match. And, you know, this was something she was afraid of because this is how she got bumped from the last Mm -hmm. surgery. So... And she had told me before, if Jenna needs blood in the next five weeks, I will come out and give her mine. Do not let her have anybody else's blood. So she was really, she was really encouraging and warm, and just ready to go to surgery. And Jenna was um, a little nervous about it because she had had a surgery the year before. They had to they had to repair her bladder. This was going to make it larger so that she wouldn't have the same problem that had originally damaged her kidney, which is just a malfunction of her bladder. She Mm -hmm. doesn't really have any kidney disease. She just had a mechanical breakdown that her brain didn't know when her bladder was full and it was always uh, under pressure and that's what damaged her kidneys. So
0: her illness wasn't from polycystic kidney disease?
1: No, no. That's kind of the irony of the whole thing was here... You know, I have this family history of kidney disease, and I didn't get it, and if you don't get it, you can't pass it, but here she was with kidney failure, so I'm kind of paving the way for the rest of the family with uh, learning about kidney disease. So Patrice and Jeff, her husband, came out, and uh, they did the final tests. And then um, we met with them the night before. They came over to the little house we were staying at and just met our family. It was so great, because my husband hadn't met her yet. So she met my husband and our other kids, and we just sat and talked. And I mean, they're really such warm people. It was very comfortable. I mean, we knew she was going into surgery the next day. You know, and I was afraid for both of them. I mean, surgery is a risk. always Mm -hmm. wonder how what the outcome is going to be. But the next morning, (laughs) Jenna was, you know, up early and they were getting her ready to go to the down the hall to the operating room. They had taken Patrice about two and a half hours earlier and that they need that time to remove the kidney and and, you know, stitch up the artery. I mean, they have to make sure that the donor is stable. And it's a different team. At Scripps, it's nice because one team does the removal, and it's taken right Mm -hmm. next door and washed and ready. And by then, you've prepped your recipient, and the surgery begins on her. So it was several hours before we knew how they were. But um, the doctor came out, and, you know, I just stared at him for any sign of what was going on. And he said, they're both doing great. And I jumped up and I grabbed him to hug him. <laughs> and I think, you know, I scared him, but I just, I almost knocked
0: him over. I was so excited to hear they were both fine because, you know. It's it's always a risk. Whenever you go to surgery, it's a risk. And, you know, unfortunately, it's it doesn't always work out that the kidney works. I mean, they have about a 90% success rate, but it's, you know, if you're that statistic, Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, those first 24
1: hours, too, you know, you just don't know how it's going to go. And I think I was naive then, you know, I just thought, oh, great, we're out of the woods. But, you know, there's she was very lucky. There's um, so many complications that I've heard of since then. Just not just rejection, but just problems with blood flow, problems with pressure, other fluid infection. I mean, there's just so many things that can happen
0: that not only would the kidney not work, but, you know, be a life threatening situation and um how is she doing with the immunosuppressant drugs? I mean I know for myself, you know, it's it's always a little tricky. You have to take a lot of steroids, um and they're now have steroid free protocol in some centers. But it's it's crazy. It gives you side effects and well, did she, she have to deal with that at all? They had her on steroids
1: for the first three days and that was um, they th- that was their protocol but then they stopped them and they used them only for rejection rescue at her center so she didn't have the you know moon face the g- weight gain a lot of things that other teenagers struggle with i've i've heard well in your situation yeah. too you were young i mean it it really affects how you look at yourself because of the the side effects and so fortunately she hasn't had to face any of that. She takes every 12 hours she has to take her immunosuppressants and she can't miss them. You know we're always reminding her if she forgets you know somebody jumps on her because you know it's it's important to us to make this kidney last. You know I asked the doctor how would we ever know if somebody could go without immunosuppressants and he said you know surprisingly I'll get patients in here who haven't taken them for a year. And they have no rejection. They've actually, their body has accepted the kidney. Other people come in, they haven't taken them for two months. They've just ran out of money. They couldn't take them. And they're in full rejection. So he Mm -hmm. said that's the holy grail of organ transplant. If we knew who would
0: accept the organ, we could... Eliminate the immunosuppressant mm -hmm. drug. Which have so many risks taking the... I had a friend who actually, you know, was young and she stopped taking her medication for an entire year, had a perfect match kidney, was doing fine. I mean, the same thing, a young person who's like, didn't like the side effects and got a cold and just took the kidney out overnight. Oh, no. See, You that's, know, and it's, it's, you just don't want to play with fire. No, that's, And that's it's really critical to take the medication I mean I have taken medication every day for over 40 years I don't even know what it's like not to take medication so I think I'd probably feel weird not to take medicine yeah you're but still <laughs> don't you, do not you find that you can forget it sometimes well yeah I actually have in my cell phone now I have it reminding to, me that, at lunch yeah but it's so hysterical yeah. because I can take a handful of medication and take like 10 12 pills at once right. that's like and Janet. people like look at me like are you Crazy and I'm like, oh, this is just a meal for me. Yeah, (laughs) nothing. So how's Jenna doing today? She's doing
1: great. Tomorrow will be two years, and we'll probably make a kidney cake. You know, Mm -hmm. a little celebration. And I spoke to her donor a couple days ago, and she said, you know, if I didn't, if I wasn't actually there, I would swear that it didn't even happen. It was so effortless. And she said, I feel great. She. Actually went on to run the Boston Marathon three months after she donated. She came in the top twelve percent. I oh, mean, wow. she's just she's a, a fit lady. She is. She's a triathlete. She's a remarkable person. You know, fitness wise, she just is does spinning classes and you know she's she's very active. And um, the doctor said, "You got a really good kidney because even though Jenna was twenty one and Patrice was forty four at the time of the transplant, she said when someone is that fit." it's like having a younger organ. So that was the good news, because right after the transplant, when I went into Patrice's room and I sat with her for a little bit, and she was feeling nauseous from the anesthesia, and her husband was there, and he said he was going to go get some coffee. So she and I sat for a little while, and she said, "Um, sometimes I I wonder if you wish I were younger. And I said, oh, are you kidding? No, and she said, or taller or prettier. (laughs) i said you are the perfect donor but you know it's just um to have somebody do something like that for you i think jenna really realizes that she's gotten this gift that she has to protect Mm -hmm. and the fact that patrice is a triathlete has inspired jenna to walk more she does a lot of walking all over pasadena she either takes the bus or walks but she um she'll walk for like you know, an hour and 45 minutes back from somewhere. I mean, she really has stamina now. I mean, she couldn't have done that before. She was tired. She was, she was sick. And she was um, just so fatigued that, you know, life was just like she said, her, her, her senior year of high school was a blur. She doesn't really remember it. And that's kind of, Um, why I'm excited that she gets to go to the kidney prom this year because last couple years we were doing other things and still you know life was new but now we're in this sort of stable mode she's she's doing great she's taking classes at PCC and so she's excited to go to the prom and you know be around see she'll be kind of one of the older ones she's 24 but she'll be like this senior because she's had a transplant and she's She's really been through dialysis and transplant and so she can give
0: a lot of people hope that look I've made it so can you. Yeah,
1: and I think she'll actually also be able to see where she was I don't think she could see that when she was in it, you know.
0: Yeah. It's really hard. You're just kind of just going through the motions. Yeah, it's just existing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, uh, to wrap it up, any advice for parents that are out there that have children or teenagers who are dealing with kidney disease? Well, I think the best advice I ever
1: got from this one doctor He said, find a living donor. You'll have a better chance of a living donor kidney at her young age. You want something that's going to last the longest. You know, if if it's a, a good kidney, she could have it for 20, 25 years. And you never know. It could last two years. There's just no guarantees. But the thing he said was, don't worry about her being compliant with her meds. Don't worry about her feeling good or bad. Don't worry about her totally jumping in and grasping what's going on. That's why she has a family. You know, you guys will be there to support her and help her, and she will find her way. But if she gets a transplant, she's going to feel better, and she's going to want to keep that feeling going. And so... You know, because we were, we weren't sure what to do because she, she seemed a little in denial, you know, she's a teenager. She did not want to be, she kept saying, mom, I don't want to be kidney girl. You know, she wanted to just fit in and be normal and,
0: and she couldn't. So you really helped her with, you know, getting to dialysis, taking her medications and staying on her diet. Yeah. We did not beating her up. When she fell off the path. No, because he said it's normal. This is what teenagers
1: yeah. do. They drive cars fast. They have unprotected sex. They do drugs. I mean, kids feel like they're invincible. They don't think anything's going to happen to them. They don't understand or any... the consequences no. of their and actions. So here you're asking them to take 15 pills a day. You're asking them, especially on dialysis, to go to a place that they hate, to get stuck
0: by needles, to stick to a diet, to not have Cola anymore. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it's actually a miracle the ones who actually do it all, you know, when you really think about it, it, it is the people I don't who think they all, all the do. T- I mean, they yeah. want pizza and coke. They don't want
1: to have a renal diet. so it's it's a struggle, but she, you know, she really
0: worked with us, and, you know, she's a great kid. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, very lucky. Yeah, I am lucky. Well, the important uh, message is, is just to give us a break, and I like your attitude because when I was a teenager with my I had my second transplant at age seventeen, it didn't. It worked for a, a while, but then it didn't work, and I was taking massive doses of steroids, and I was so hungry. I mean, it, it was just, and I was like a had an emotional. I was on an emotional roller coaster too, trying to deal with all the medications, and I had the face blow up, and, you know, and at some point, you're like, do I want to do this anymore? Obviously, I found the energy to go on, and luckily, I did get a transplant, but it took seven years from my second to my third, and I guess I'm just beating the statistics, because I got a cadaver kidney, or I got a deceased donor kidney, and it's lasted over 18 years, so... uh, For those of you who may not have somebody who's willing to give to you, uh, I was very fortunate to get a deceased donor. It's and worked out and well. the fact that you were able to get one with those high antibodies. Yes. I mean, now
1: they have things that they can do. But I mean, you might have waited it was 10,
0: 1990. 15 yeah. years for. Well, I was on dialysis for 12 years. So I um, feel very grateful and I'm grateful to all the donors out there. So thank you, Carol, for being with us today. And uh, well, um, I have to thank you, too, because uh, when I met you eight years ago,
1: it was at a patient meeting Um, you and your mom were there at the desk checking people in I think your mom even maybe made lunch for the meeting it was so remarkable (laughs) and now you've um, taken your message to so many patients and given them a lot of hope and inspiration and um, so I'm happy to know you